Good day everyone, you're listening to Time for Your Hobby, and this is episode 44, The Forgotten Beauty. I'm your host Alex, and today I have the honor to have Connor as my guest on the show. How are you doing today? Yeah, not bad Alex, thanks for having me, it's a pleasure to be here. Yeah, well, you're not physically here, I'm not physically there, <laughs> yeah. We're, but no, it's wonderful to have you here. You're actually calling all the way over from Scotland, correct? Yeah, the west coast of Scotland, uh, in Ayrshire. It's about 20 miles south of, south of Glasgow. So yeah, we're, we're a few hours uh, difference, but it's okay. We're, we're talking, we're happy, no one's falling asleep, so I'm sure we're going to have a great podcast. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, yeah, before we start to talk about your hobby, which I find very interesting, I'm sure everybody listening who read the title would like to know who is this interesting person named Connor? I'm Connor. I'm 25. I'm from Scotland, um, as we've already covered. I work in healthcare, so it's a kind of complete difference from what it is a hobby. Uh, and I'm an urbexer. And so what is an urbexer for people who might not know what it is? Urbexing is short for urban exploring. And it's the, the act of you know exploring the, the abandoned... You know, when you, you pass a, an old factory when you're on the drive to work, we're the guys that go in and, you know, document everything that's in it, take photos, take videos, and, you know, generally just explore things that, for, mo- for the most part, other people don't know are there. That's awesome. So, wait, you're telling me while you're going to work, you say, you know what, I'm going to stop going to work. I'm just going to go explore this building and then go back to work. <laughs> no, it's more of a, you know, I'll take a note of that and I'll come back. <laughs> that's awesome. So, wait, how did you get introduced to urbexing? When I was... Growing up in, in uh, secondary school or high school, as it's called over in America, we had a, an abandoned mental hospital that had been abandoned since the 60s, maybe about a quarter of a mile behind our school. And we used to hang about in the fields behind it. And there was always the, the kind of urge to go and see what's in there. And after months and months of, you know, you go in, no, you go in, we eventually <laughs> decided, yeah, let's just, let's just bite the bullet and go for it. And it all kind of snowballed from there. Well, so were you superstitious at the time when you first came in? You're like, ooh, maybe there's ghosts or it's haunted? Absolutely terrified. <laughs> we spent, most of the time we spent there was standing in front of the door, you know, trying to, trying to decide who was brave enough to go in first. And were you the first one to go in? I was not. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm sure, I'm sure now you won't hesitate to go in and go venture in these new places. Oh, definitely. I mean, it's something that you do become comfortable with, you know, at, at the start, you're jumping at every noise you hear, you're panicking every time you hear something that shouldn't really be there. But now, you know, you kind of get used to what's there and you understand the risks that, are, that, you, that you're taking. On that note, what kind of sounds are common to find in these abandoned places? It really depends on the the building or the structure that you're in. I mean, sometimes you, like with your average factory or your average like abandoned hospital you'll hear things like floorboards creaking there'll be you know window blow things about inside because for the most part these buildings are you know they're not maintained in the slightest and you know they're missing windows so sometimes you've got you know old billowy curtains blowing in the wind but then we've also visited things like mines where you've got you know the massive echo chambers and the slightest noise carries for miles so even wildlife sounds like it's, you know, absolutely everywhere. And have you encountered any creatures in these buildings? Oh, absolutely. It's not, not uncommon. We'll go in and there'll be, you know, a fox scavenging for food or uh, bats in some of the, the damper, darker places. But I'm sure you never got, I, I once, I used to work in, uh, in a tunnel for a tour guide and I once got hit in the head by a bat. So has, has that ever happened to you? 
<laughs> it almost happened. We were exploring a, an old farmhouse nearby our house, nearby where we stay. And uh, I was the first one to go up onto the second floor and open this door. There must have been maybe 10 or 15 bats swarming in the room. Oh, wow. And uh, yeah, they started swooping us. But luckily, they, they missed us and they, they made an escape pretty quickly. So that was pretty adrenaline. Go, got the adrenaline going. Uh, yeah, I can imagine. And so you were, you were mentioning when you first started, you just drive by a place and you said, you wish you go venture that, go see that. Do you still do that now? Or do you look up places online or in newspapers or in articles saying, ooh, that's a place I'd like to go visit? The Urbexon community in itself is quite secretive. Uh, it's the kind of thing where if you find a place, we you don't really want to publish where it is because that encourages, you know, vandals and people that just, they'll destroy what's there so for the most part it is it is through speaking to other you know urban explorers or just going out and driving and seeing seeing what is there uh or since you know google maps has became more of a more of a thing than it was when i was a kid uh we we now we can now use aerial shots and kind of look for things that we don't usually you know that we we don't know were there Okay, so that makes sense. It's more of a underground community and only a handful of people will know about it. So I'm guessing you already have a community of friends that you share information with, but nobody necessarily on the outside. Yeah, uh, as I say, it's it's one of those precautions that's kind of put in place to, to avoid vandalism and to avoid these places getting, you know, torn down by the council for being unsafe. So yeah, there is a community. So I would imagine you're the type of person when you do go visit one of these places, you respect the structure, the environment, and do not damage it, correct? Absolutely, yeah. One of the things that we sort of hold close is that we don't actually want to damage the place. We, we want to leave everything exactly as it is. It's a kind of, you know, leave no trace. No one should ever know anyone was there. No, that's that's very honorable and very respectful. You're there to just take pictures and enjoy the moment and be surrounded by things that you wouldn't necessarily be surrounded by by your everyday life. Yeah, exactly. We try not to not to ruin the history that's already there. Uh, on that note, what kind of equipment do you usually bring with you while you're urbexing? When we first started, it was absolutely nothing. You know, it'd be a cheap department store flashlight that we would be we would be carrying, and that would be it. Now that I'm a bit wiser, uh, the, the standard kit is you know a, a decent flashlight, decent set of boots, because a lot of these places the the ground is littered with broken glass and you know some of the floorboards can give way other than that though it's really just a camera camera flashlights boots you're good to go for the boots exactly are, are they steel-toed or no yeah uh it's not you know it's not a requirement but i'd rather have that that there in case yeah in case something falls on your foot by accident you never know exactly now for you do you prefer urbexing alone or with friends or company most of the time I go with my friends. Um, we have a kind of group that we, we arrange our days off around so that we can do these things. But it, sometimes it is, it is good to kind of escape from everything, just give yourself time to think and be alone with it. Uh, but that can be a lot creepier, especially if it's a place that you're not familiar with. Yeah, I could imagine. And I would imagine also uh, when you do go with your friends, you guys all look for the same thing or everybody's trying to look for something a little different, keeping an eye out for something. Usually we... We just kind of go with the flow, you know, it, it depends on where we're going. We're just trying, the, the main objective is to to see things that haven't been seen for a while. You know, like I say, with a with a uh, hospital, it was abandoned since the 60s. So really, we were just there to 
to see things that hadn't been seen since you know 40 years ago 50 years ago now that's that's pretty cool i, I would love to give it a try um on that also how many places have you visited for the urbexing purpose oh god um <laughs> tough question hundreds really? yeah. uh we it was a it was an every weekend thing at one point uh before we got you know adult jobs and responsibilities now it's kind of died down but we we usually visit at least you know one place a month and so these are all new places or have you revisited some old places for the most part it's it's all new places uh but we do there are there are places that we've we've been going to for years. We just haven't seen the whole of it. For example, nearby where I am, uh, just yesterday, I took my uncle. He's a wildlife photographer, and we have a an abandoned uh, dynamite factory from World War Two nearby. I've got some photos up in my, my Instagram. I'll share those with you later. But uh, I took him there yesterday, and there were still things that you know I've I've been going to that place for maybe five or six years. And we found places I hadn't I hadn't seen yet because it's so densely overgrown with vegetation and you know different wildlife that it's impossible to find it all within a few days. Wow, that's I like, I like that idea that even if you go back to a place multiple times, you still find something new and interesting. And so wait, I have to ask: Did you find any dynamite? <laughs> no, we didn't. We did find some of the old blasting chambers where they they tested the the strength of the explosives, uh, but those are all you know overgrown and it's pretty surreal to walk into a place that is. Effectively, it still looks like a factory, but you've got you know plants growing out of, out of consoles. You've got you know doors hanging off the hinges, and this place still looks like it could be in operation a week ago. Wow, that's that's crazy. So, what actually? Actually, what are some safety concerns, especially if we're talking about dynamites and a factory that made dynamite? What are some safety safety concerns to keep in mind for urbexing? The main thing that we come across commonly is asbestos which oh to add to the kit one of the things i always carry with me in my bag is a respirator asbestos is common in most of the buildings that we go into uh aside for that you've got damp you've got mold you've got floorboards that you know aren't quite secure so if you're on anything that's above ground level you've got the risk of you know these things could could collapse. Some of the buildings are condemned and you often see signs outside them that says, you know, danger, do not enter, building condemned by the by the government. Um, other than that, it's one of the main concerns is the homeless population that sometimes occupy these places. We're, we have to be very wary when we're going in these places that, that people sometimes do live in them. And, you know, we're, we're never there with the intention of disrupting that. And whenever we do come across that, you know, we make excuses and leave, leave them to it. We don't want to disturb anyone. On that note, do you prefer visiting places at night or during the day? It really depends on the place. So sometimes it's it's more fun if there's more of a creepy atmosphere. Uh, and depending on you know where these places are, sometimes it's often that the the police would be phoned, people are breaking in, etc. Et uh, so sometimes it is easier to go during the the night. But for the the photography aspect of it, it's easier to go during the day. And so I have to ask you. What was the creepiest place you've ever visited? If you've visited many, many places, it must be one that just tops the list. Yeah, definitely. There was a a building. It used to be a children's home back in the 50s and 60s. And then it got closed by the council. And it was bought over by a philanthropist that was coming over to turn it into a cultural centre. And we found out about this place. Now, to get to it, we had to walk through two fields, cross a small burn and then walk through another two fields and about a quarter mile through a forest because there was no other access route to it. 
we get into the build, get up to the building, we do our usual, we'll have a walk around, you know, check the building's not falling to bits and there's not, you know, the roof caving in. And once we were satisfied, we went in, spent a few a few minutes in on each floor, and we decided we would go down to the basement. And on the way down to the basement, my friend who was with me was like, oh, I think I heard someone. And I'm like, no, 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 you pro- we probably didn't. <laughs> you know, we, we had some, we, we always think we heard someone. So we made our way down into the, the basement and we're standing there and we heard, heard a noise for down the hall. So we, we kind of start making a little bit of noise because the last thing we want to do is startle someone or surprise someone that were there. So we made a bit of noise and we hear footsteps just running down the hall. <laughs> and we think, God, we need to get out of here. So we take off up the stairs and it's a big spiral stone staircase down into the basement. And we're halfway up that and we hear the most blood-curdling sound of a man making a wolf howling noise as he's storming up the stairs. Oh, my <laughs> And we have, yeah, we have never gotten out of a building as quick as that. Wow, that's, that's, that's horror movie material material right there. Yeah, that's exactly what we said. Like, I, I heard that, we heard that noise and we are like, yep, we know how this film ends. Let's leave. <laughs> wow. So, so you've never gone back? Oh, we went back. We went back a couple of weeks later. <laughs> um, but again, when we got, when we got back, we got to roughly the same spot, and we continued down the hall. Now, at this point, we're absolutely terrified because we don't know what you know what we're expecting. And we heard from what we would assume would be the other end of the hall. We heard a group of maybe four or five people speaking, but they didn't seem to be you know having a kind of hushed conversation like we would if we were, if it was just another group of Arbexers. It seemed to be, you know, as if you'd stumbled into someone's home. Wow. Which was pretty creepy, yeah. Okay, now you know you're you're scaring me. I kinda I, I don't know if I want to do it anymore. Like I was saying, you know what? I should do this. After you just told me that somebody just charged at you and just there was a yell. Yeah. I, Other I, than that though, <laughs> most of the time it's it's perfectly perfectly fine. Yeah, one time out of one hundred it's fine. Yeah, exactly. So on you were talking about restricted areas. Do you prefer visiting public abandoned areas or restricted? abandoned areas restricted are usually more preserved the the more public an area is the more the more people know about it and the more vandalism you encounter you know you go in and there's graffiti all over the walls the windows have all been smashed and the doors have been kicked off but with places like place i was just telling you about that was still intact you know there's still chairs and tables laid out there was still running water in the place it was still connected with electricity even though it had been abandoned for you know 20 years well, and so who was paying the bills? I have no <laughs> idea. From, from what we can tell, the council actually took over the building. And I think because the council had took it over, it had just been auto-paid. Wow. There you have it. Yeah. So I asked you where was the creepiest place you've ever visited, but what is the most interesting place? The place that just astounds you? You're amazed by everything inside or outside? Not particularly the place, but there was one room in the first place we visited, uh, the, the hospital. Where although this although the, the hospital in itself had been vandalized, there was one room that was completely, you know, out of limits because the, the floor, it was a sec, uh, second floor room, but the floor connecting the the two the other room that we could access had completely collapsed. So we came back a few weeks later with some with some rope and we sort of, you know, lifted each other up and managed to get the rope tied around one of the joists. And we climbed up, and what we found was a completely intact, other than a bit of damp, a completely intact doctor's office. Still with there was still a doctor's coat draped over the the 
other side of the door on the coat hook, there was still a stethoscope hung up in the corner. There was still medical notes, you know, left on the desk. And that was that was just absolutely fascinating to see something that hadn't been touched in, you know, 45 years. So it was you saw the notes and they were dated. Yeah, they were they were all dated from like nineteen the mid 1960s. And there was also similar to that, we found a a residential nursing home next to an old abandoned chapel. And we went in the we went in this place at night and we were shuffling through the place. And again, it was what it was one of the, the buildings that had been mostly preserved. And we found another doctor's office. And in the, the doctor's drawers, the chest of drawers next to the desk, there was correspondence between her and a patient from 1967, talking about her conditions and you know how her family were getting on. It was obviously, it showed a really close relationship between this doctor and her patient. Wow. It really makes me think, uh, what would have happened, like what made them, ha what happened for them to just get up and go and leave everything behind? It must have been an event because that's confidential information, doctor notes and stuff like that, that it just seems interesting that they just picked up everything and just moved without bringing that stuff. Yeah, exactly. That's one of the things that fascinated us about it because we we tried searching, but we couldn't find any history on why why the place actually closed. But for a lot of these places, it is almost as if everyone just packed their bags and left. And you know, there's still all this equipment, all these you know, all these uh, relics from the past that are still there. That you know, today, if we closed these kind of places, they would immediately be cleared. You know, everything would be shredded or put into you know put into filing for storage. Back then, it was just left. So when you do go urbexing, do you ever expect to find interesting items like that? Or you're just expecting to just find the interesting building itself? Most of the time, the buildings are, are empty or what's there has been you know, damaged by the weather and damaged by wildlife. Uh, so we don't, we don't ever set an expectation of finding anything because for the most part, you would just let yourself down. A lot of the time you get there and it is just a, you know, a shell of a building with some rooms in it. But when we do find out those kind of items and artifacts for the past, it, that's what makes the hobby worthwhile. That's what makes it worth the 20 buildings that you went in and there was nothing. Man, now, now I'm interested again in trying it out. <laughs> yeah, you definitely should. It's, it's great fun. Well, I have a little, I have some stories about that, but I'll tell that near the end now. But uh, have you actually ever encountered another urbexer while urbexing? Yeah, very, very rarely. It doesn't happen very often. Um, but occasionally, yeah, we do we do bump into people. It tends to be people just doing the exact same thing as us. You know, they're in, they're there to take take photos, and it's nice to meet these people because you can share information. You know, we can tell each other about different places, and we can just generally share the experience with a group of people that we we haven't met. And uh, on that note, what was the youngest urbexer you've ever met, and who is the oldest urbexer you've ever met? The youngest was a a little boy. We were. Out in the middle of nowhere now, this is like mid-February in Scotland, so we're you know, a foot and a half of snow, and it took us maybe 20 minutes by car from the gate of the building to get to the building. <laughs> so it was a massive, massive grounds, uh, and it was all uphill, and we're struggling and struggling and struggling. And we get there, and there's this, there's this kid who, we never asked his age, but he couldn't have been any older than like 14. Out 11 o'clock at night, middle of, middle of February, freezing cold, just exploring the building on his own. <laughs> that was a that was a strange one. Uh, the oldest we've probably met, it's, it's not really common we meet a kind of older person. Uh, I think it's something that didn't really take off. There, 
you know, before I was before we kind of got into it, wasn't really known before the internet. Uh, but we have met a few kind of older guys, but no, I'd say maybe fifties. So I guess on that note, would you want to keep doing this until you're fifty or older? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I would. I'll be doing this until I can't. Would you only want to do it in Scotland, or was there any other country you'd like to try this out? There's uh, a few buildings uh, I'd like to check out across the world. Uh, a lot of them are in Russia. Russia has a massive load of just abandoned architecture. Uh, but I've always wanted to go to uh, Prikryat, but obviously that's not not exactly safe. Yeah. Well, same with Chernobyl, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. That, that to me... Chernobyl looks amazing, but I would like to do it without the tour guide. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, that's like, that's, I would feel like that's like one of the top things for people who do urbexing to go to probably, I could be wrong, but I feel like it's one of the most recognized abandoned areas in the world. Definitely. You know, there's, uh, there's loads of quite popular kind of ghost towns, but it's by far the most popular. Now, you did mention that when you do go visit a place, you don't necessarily touch anything, you leave everything as is, but have you ever brought back, let's say, a piece of rock to remember that trip? There was uh, one building we went to, which was uh, an old office block, and it's the, the only thing I've ever brought back, but it was a, a vintage architect's like uh, ruler, which was pretty cool. Uh, so they would, you know, it was quite, quite interesting to see what they would have been using that 50 60 years ago to create the buildings that we've got just now that's cool and um did you clean it up or leave it as is i've left it as is uh i think it, it's got a bit more character that way that's awesome uh, and what would you say is the best part about urbexing for you on a personal and emotional level it's really discovering the the stuff that has been lost you know like the the doctor's office i mean i it would i don't think it would be too much a stretch to say that we were the first people to see that since you know, since the place closed, for me, experiencing that is what what makes this whole, you know, the whole journey worth it. Uh, seeing the things that the things that nobody's seen in possibly decades. So, would you consider yourself the urban mo- modern day Indiana Jones? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, that's a bit of a stretch. I mean, I don't carry a whip, <laughs> not since the, the incident, <laughs> but yeah. It is, that's what it, that's what it's like. It's like a small scale, you know, explorer. Yeah, there's no giant boulders coming down on you. Not often. <laughs> <laughs> so what was your biggest challenge when you first started urbexing? When we were younger, we, we didn't have cars. So planning a, you know, a trip that was a two hour drive away was a whole day's event for us. And that was frustrating because oftentimes you would get there and the place had been completely demolished. But now, now that we're older, you know, we've got our cars, we can, we can drive these places and it's not, not as big a deal. All right. Well, that's great. So you, you got rid of one of the challenges. So what are your current challenges, if you have any? Current challenges is we're running out of places that we haven't been. <laughs> it's getting harder and harder to find places that we, we don't know exist. Do you, I feel like one day you just might just like start wandering, walking in a straight line and without doing any research and just improvise a new place to find. That's for the most part. That is how we we accidentally stumble on a lot of these locations. It's just you know we drive in one direction for a couple of hours and start taking you know start taking the off the beaten track routes and see what's there. And so wait, how long does an actual urbexing session last for you? For me, I'll, if I'm going out, I like to spend a day there. Uh, it used to be when we were younger because we didn't have the transport. 
you would get there and you would have a couple hours at most, which would be pretty disappointing. But now we prefer to, we'll, we'll head out early in the morning and we don't intend on coming back till, you know, sunsetting. So it is a whole day event. Have you ever slept in one of these buildings? We've camped uh, previously at the Dynamite Factory on the grounds of that. That's pretty interesting because uh, it's all, although it was a factory and it was actually a pretty large factory, it housed over 2,000 people at one point. Wow. And there was even a town, they had a doctor's, they had a dentist on site, they had a railway that accessed it. But that's all overgrown by woods and uh, woods and marshland. So yeah, we've camped, we've camped there two or three times now. Sounds like a, an Olympic village, just abandoned, where it just has everything. It's a little town. Wow, that's cool. Yeah, definitely. And do you have any pet peeves about, let's say, other urbexers or the urbexing community that you don't like these urbexers doing? Vandalism. It's the one thing that completely ruins a spot when you get there and it's, you know, completely covered in graffiti or very occasionally someone tried to burn it down. Unfortunately, that's a, quite a common occurrence. Wow. 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 Yeah. That's, that's really unfortunate. unfortunate. Yeah, it's, it destroys a lot of, a lot of history. Yeah, of course. And uh, has urbexing ever helped you relax when you're stressed? So let's say you had a long day. You say, you know what? I just want to go for a walk and adventure, like venture somewhere and discover new things to relax. Yeah, getting there's more the the stressful part. But when we when we get there and you finally you know get into the building or get into the structure, then you get the chance to kind of relax and you know experience what you what you're seeing. And before I forget, I'm sure another thing, part of your equipment would be a first aid kit. Uh, yeah, well, <laughs> ideally, yeah. But most, most of the time, it's just uh, just some plasters in case you get cut. Yeah, plastered, some rubbing alcohol, you're good to go. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And on the flip side, back to the stress question, has urbexing ever stressed you out? Uh, yeah, with the, with the howling guy, definitely. <laughs> <laughs> Very occasionally, we get... Uh, we get stressed out when we travel, like, you know, when you've, when you've driven for five or six hours and you get to a place that you, you've held in good faith is still there and still active and it's just a construction site where they've leveled the ground. That can be quite stressful. But it then gives us a chance to, you know, branch off from there and find a new place nearby. And it's part of the adrenaline rush and it's part of what makes life grand, pretty much. Yeah, exactly. Sometimes you got, you've got to got to be a bit disappointed <laughs> yeah you can't win them all that's 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 exactly. life exactly uh what are some misconceptions about people who are urbexers that we're all the type that vandalize and break in i mean it's very it's very uncommon that we actually have to break into a place or force entry we go there with the intention of we'll use an open window or we'll look for a door that's that's you know hanging off that we can just move to the side and the, the common misconception is that we all, you know, break the windows, we go in and we party and we drink in these places and, you know, get drunk and destroy it. But that's a very, very small minority of our Vexen community. It's those people who ruin it for everybody else. I completely yeah. understand. And what, what has Urbexing taught you in life? Sometimes you just need to look around. I mean, mo most of these places are five, maybe 10 minutes away from, you know, civilization. And most people don't realize they're there because these days a lot of people don't go out and just explore. And that's something that I think we're missing. Yeah, I completely agree with you. I love just 
finding new places and seeing things and just keeping my eye open for everything around me. I, I completely agree with you on this. Um, I don't have that many friends who like doing that as well, but, uh, if, if we were to meet in person, I'm sure we would, you would teach me all the ropes and I would fully be on board. If we hear this screeching howling guy, I would already be out the building. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. Don't worry. We would make sure you're safe. But yeah, there's not a lot of people these days that, that are, I mean, I, I have so many friends who have never even seen a wild deer. Really? Yeah. And you know, they are five, 10 minutes away. Wow. Well, actually, so I'm from Ottawa, Ontario, Canada, and sometimes I live in the downtown. So it's the national capital of Canada. Uh, a couple of months ago, we had a black bear just walking downtown and a moose. Oh. <laughs> so wildlife comes everywhere. Brilliant. Yeah, we don't get that here. The most, uh, most interesting thing we see often is a fox. I'd rather see a fox and a black bear walking down the street. <laughs> yeah, a lot less dangerous. Yeah. Now, how is po how popular is urbexing in your area? Not very. I mean, aside from the group that, that I urbex with, there's maybe another two or three people that do it. And this is in a, I live in a pretty small town. Population is about maybe 1,500. But it's not very common, especially as you get to cities. People in the cities, you know, they don't travel out their way to do these things as often. So it tends to be a more rural thing. Yeah, of course. And you, the nature, you might as well take advantage and learn about your area as well. It makes sense. Exactly. Experience it while it's still there. Yes. And before the vandals come or even stop the exactly. vandals. <laughs> now, this might be a hard question to answer because it's kind of like it would ruin it at the same time. But would you want to present this hobby to the world or use it as an escape from reality? So if too many people know about it, then it, yeah, it ruins the hobby itself pretty much because everybody's going through it. It turns into a museum. But would you want to present it or keep it to yourself? It's a kind of catch-22. I mean, I would love more people to see what's out there and just, you know, get outdoors and experience everything that that we still have. But at the same time, the more these places are explored, the less abandoned they become. They become, you know, they become Occupied. lived in again. <laughs> yeah. So I would as much as I would love everyone to try it, I understand that it isn't for everyone. So I don't think that would ever, I don't think that would ever happen. Okay. So it's a niche topic, but it's great. Only yeah. a handful of people will enjoy it. And, but that's good that people find passion within that. And the people that do enjoy it, we can take pictures for the people that, you know, might enjoy it, but don't quite want to risk going in these places. Yeah. So wait, speaking of which, when you do pick, take pictures, you don't geotag them, do you? No, no. <laughs> that uh, it, yeah. <laughs> we don't post a location because that's when that's when everyone else turns up. Yeah, exactly. Um, do you have any word of advice for anybody who might be interested in urbexing? So let's say you had a family or friend like your uncle that came up to you saying, hey, Connor, I would love to come on a trip with you. What should I know beforehand? Always when you're starting off, research where you're going. You know, there are plenty of, plenty of forums. I mean, one of them is uh, 28dayslater.com. They cover loads of urbex and stuff. And most, most, more often than not, if you already know a place, it will be up on 28dayslater.com. So within that, there's usually information on safety, you know, what you can expect. But most, the most Crucial piece of advice is stay safe. You know, if something doesn't appear safe or if something is kind of outside of your comfort zone, don't do it or find out a lot more information before you do do it. So always do your research. This applies for urbexing and pretty much everything in life. Uh, yeah, exactly. Stay safe.
And uh, do you have any social media links or websites you'd like to share? It could either be your personal, let's say, Instagram, Facebook or Twitter or even websites to for people who want to learn more about urbexing. Yeah, uh, I mean, it's not mine, but check out the 28 Days Later. It's absolutely fantastic for anyone who's wanting to get into it and even just to check out the old photos. But as for my social media, check out Instagram.com forward slash I'm Connor Ryder. I'll send you the link after the, the show. But yeah, we, I don't have a lot up there to do with Urbexing. I've only recently started posting a lot more Urbexing stuff, uh, but there's definitely more to come. Well, there you go. So people will have something to, to look forward to. Some exciting things in this podcast episode is coming out in many, many weeks later. So I'm sure by that time, you're going to have a lot of stuff and summer's coming along the corner. So even more pictures, which is fantastic. Definitely. Definitely. There'll be, there'll be a lot more up there. Now, do you have any questions for me about urbexing? Yeah, I mean, what's your opinion of urbexing before and, you know, after having this discussion? Uh, well, before having this discussion and meeting you or talking to you, I did not know it actually had a word. I just love the idea of venturing because I remember I went to St. John's, Newfoundland in uh, Canada and they, it's like right beside the, the main city, there's like this abandoned World War II post where everything is still preserved. Unfortunately, there's graffiti there, but just the environment. I love the feeling of just the nostalgia of, well, it's not necessarily nostalgia, but the you kind of feel like you were in that moment and just you get the feel of how tight the corners were. And you I kind of picture people moving in the directions depending on where it goes. Because I if I remember correctly, um, they made this post on the edge right beside the ocean because that was where the Germans actually came with submarines and they attacked St. John's, Newfoundland. It was like the first and only wow. uh, attack on North America. I could be wrong, but I think that's the most of the idea. Uh, when I used to work at Vimy Ridge in France, I used to like uh, just, it wasn't as much of uh, urban like abandoned buildings, but I, we found some shrapnel, we found... Uh, some shells um one one colleague found a like a, a bombshell <laughs> she just ran back with her like no no don't bring that here <laughs> she's like all ex- she's all excited bring it back to us but i do like uh, venturing like quiet places that are somewhat eerie and because a lot of it has history so yeah definitely and you get that feeling of you know being there in the moment and there's kind of almost a residual energy to these places yeah and it's subtle beauty that's the beauty of it i i'm actually glad i had you on this episode so i actually know what the act the proper term is now before then i would just say it is random venturing through broken down places (laughs) i I didn't know how to call it it's a lot easier to say it is a lot easier but uh, yeah, I'm, I'm very thankful that you came here and you taught me new things. And now, actually, you said you, the, the, you're worried sometimes that uh, things could collapse. Did you ever bring a hard hat during one of your adventures? When we've done any, anything that's kind of underground uh, in Scotland, it, there's quite a lot of old coal mines that are still open. Uh, we, we always took a hard hat for there. But for the buildings, although we probably should have, we didn't. Yeah. Well, in retrospect, for people who are starting out, safety first. And then uh, the more experience you get, the more you can learn and where to avoid. If you see a floor that's breaking, probably don't step on it. That's (laughs) exactly exactly. Or if you're going to send someone else first. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And just make sure you can outrun them if you hear the guy screaming and running towards you. 
Exactly. You don't need to be fast. You just need to be faster than the slowest guy there. <laughs> yes. We are, we are horrible people. But <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Not the first time we've been told that. <laughs> so yeah, if you want to learn more about Connor, you can definitely check him out. I'll put, him, I'll put all the links in the description below. And uh, so there you have it. Another body with a hobby. Thank you, Connor, so much for coming on. I is very interesting you got i had goosebumps at one point from that story it just it gave me shivers <laughs> <laughs> yeah well it's been an absolute pleasure being on it's been it's been great my first podcast oh well well you, you've done radio before so it's not too much different but i'm glad i was your first for your podcast <laughs> yeah brilliant it's been great yeah, so uh, once again, all the information will be below. And if you think this episode is going to be helpful for anybody, by all means, share it with them. Maybe they're going through a hard time in their life and need to go on adventures and discover new places to reevaluate life and find the beauty in it. Uh, so until the next step, actually, before I say that, if you'd like to be on the show or have any questions at all, you could send me an email at timeforyourhobby at gmail.com. So until the next episode, make some time for your hobby. Take care. <laughs>